You can turn with me once again to the book of Luke. We are continuing in Luke's gospel. Remember that Luke really wrote a two-volume work, Luke-Acts, and so we are in the gospel of Luke in our series, Kingdom Come, and we're going to finish up chapter 2 this morning. So if you can turn with me to the gospel of Luke in your own Bibles, if you don't have a Bible with you, it should be up on the screen as well as we read along. We're going to start in verse 22. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. When the time had come for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they, Mary and Joseph, brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And when he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, He took him up in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The word of the Lord, may he write its truth upon our hearts. Well, Father. As people of the new covenant grace that your son Jesus inaugurated, we too, like Simeon, are filled with the Spirit. Lord, we, like Simeon, have come to your house to encounter the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus. So Lord, I pray that you would stir us that You would meet us through the means, the gracious means of Your Word being preached, that Your your truth would reign supreme in this room, that Your truth would reign supreme in our hearts. That the claim of this text would be laid upon Your people and that we would walk out of here different, sanctified, longing for greater holiness, longing to know Jesus and to love Him more deeply. So now, like you did for Simeon and for Anna, through the power of your Spirit, do it again for your people. 
for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you could have seen under his robes, you'd have probably noticed how calloused and discolored his knees were. It was really just the expected result of so many hours of prayer before the Lord. The old man's eyes had this this burning intensity to them. His eyes were what really stood out. He was old, and so his back was hunched with age. His skin sagged, but his eyes were as bright as could be. The priests knew him by sight, if not by name. He was in the temple that frequently. Really, all the people throughout the city, the people of Jerusalem, knew of this man. He was was a holy man. But not like the Pharisees in their attempt at holiness. Their version of holiness made them seem aloof, and and their version of holiness made them seem sometimes cold and distant. But this man, his holiness was, was compelling, even as it was intense. There was something unique about his righteousness. Something about his righteousness that drew people in. And when you talked with him, or you had the privilege of hearing him pray, it made your heart burn for the Lord. It wasn't at all uncommon that someone would encounter him in the streets, and later that day, the person would feel compelled themselves to go to the temple, and to pray, and to offer sacrifice. Or after encountering this man in the city, they would go home and and they would pick up the scrolls that they hadn't read for weeks and they would turn to a passage of Scripture and they'd be reminded about the prophecies regarding the Messiah. That was the influence this man had upon those he interacted with. You see, when you encountered old Simeon, even the most cynical hearts in Jerusalem found their hope renewed. That even after all these years, all these centuries, perhaps the Messiah would still come to deliver them. Perhaps it could still be true. Well, that day in the temple, Simeon's eyes were even brighter than usual. They were glowing. There was an urgency and an intensity to his movements. He saw a family enter the inner courts from the court of the Gentiles. Somehow the Lord had impressed upon him that it would be today, this day, he would see the Messiah and that the Messiah would be within the context of a family, be a child of a family. And so as the family walked in, his eyes brightened and he looked. But this family, this family was impeccably dressed. And the father was leading a spotless lamb, an expensive sacrifice towards the priests. Their robes were of fine material. The wife wore expensive jewelry. He took a step towards them, but again, he sensed in his spirit this wasn't right. Somehow he knew the Messiah wouldn't be what he expected. So he returned to praying, reciting portions of Isaiah. Isaiah 9 and and 52 and 53 and 60. He had always loved these passages, these messianic passages talking about 
the Messiah to come, the servant of the Lord. But that morning, Simeon's heart burned with a burden to recall the words, to put them on his lips and to recite them in faith before the Lord in his holy temple. And so Simeon was murmuring the words under his lips, each line filling his heart with faith and expectation. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. For unto us, as Isaiah 9 says, a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, will do it. Oh, let it be as you have written, Simeon hoped and prayed. And then he looked up again and he saw another family enter. The man was young and and, and humble-looking. He was carrying two of the cheap but overpriced doves he had no doubt just bought in the outer courts at exorbitant prices. It was the most he could afford for the sacrifice. And as Simeon looked, he saw behind him was the wife, the mother. But she was so young. She was so small. And then Simeon saw the bundle in her arms. And as he saw the bundle, his hands trembled. And suddenly, before he even knew what he was doing, he, he was rushing towards the family, rushing towards the couple. He looked upon the baby, a mere 40 days old. The parents there for the mother's purification to dedicate their firstborn. And he choked back a sob. And Simeon reached out so he could hold the child. The mother nodded. The father had looked startled and almost moved to confront him. But the little teenage mother had somehow known and, and she had reached out a hand to stop her husband. Simeon looked into her eyes and somehow sensed she knew he meant no harm. More than that, that she sensed from the Lord as well that this meeting was appointed to happen before the foundation of the world. And so Simeon took the little baby into his arms, a helpless infant. Even being familiar with Isaiah 9, even just having recited it, he'd never really imagined seeing the Messiah as a baby. And then he explained to Mary and Joseph, how the Lord had promised him years earlier he wouldn't die until he had seen the Christ. And so, could they imagine his excitement that morning as he had gotten up and he'd been filled with the Spirit and he had been given the revelation that this was the day he'd been longing for and praying for all these years. This was the day when, when finally he would be the one to see the hope of Israel. 
A large tear rolled down his cheek and fell onto the baby's face. And suddenly he felt a surge of faith and inspiration. He held the child heavenward and spoke with such a loud voice that the heads around them in the temple turned to gaze. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And as he said it, he caught the eyes of the prophetess, his friend Anna. He knew he'd see her here. She was always in the temple communing with the Lord. And as their eyes met, he saw illumination break onto her face. She was one longing for the redemption of Israel as well. And as their eyes met, Simeon nodded in confirmation. And then he turned back to the mother. He, he knew. He sensed deep in his soul there was more he had to say. Like the prophets before him, it was burning within him. But it caught in his throat to tell a mother so young. And so he, he handed back the child. His joy that morning now mixed with sadness for the first time. Behold, he said to the girl, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed. And then there was a pregnant pause. And he gently finished. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And then with a final contented sigh. Simeon turned and left ready to die and return to the Lord when we think of the birth and infancy narratives it's really easy to forget about Simeon isn't it he's probably not the character that first comes to mind nor the brief mention of the prophetess Anna but they play such a crucial role Simeon especially with the words he utters through the inspiration of the Spirit. I want to spend the rest of this morning considering the significance, the import of those words. This godly, righteous, devout man first shows us that the coming of the Messiah marks salvation and glory to Israel. The first thing we learn about Simeon is that he is righteous and, and he is devout. Not in the way that you'll see described later in the Gospels, a self-righteousness. Not in a, a showy sort of devotion. But a devotion that the text shows us centered on this insatiable desire to see the promises of God fulfilled. 
Simeon yearns to see the long-awaited Christ, yearns to see the Messiah, the hope of Israel, the one who will redeem Israel. And when we say that it's long-awaited, we mean that since the advent of mankind, since Adam and Eve in the garden, all the way back to Adam and Eve's disobedience and the fall, the echo of a promise has been ringing through the ages. Simeon has been longing to see the fulfillment of that promise to God's people and really the entire world. For thousands of years, people have been waiting for the serpent crusher. They've been waiting for the one who was promised, the seed of woman who would usher in deliverance and salvation. And as the ages passed, the revelation became fuller and fuller and more clear and more clear. And Simeon now knows that that serpent crusher, that seed of woman, would also be a seed of Abraham, would also be a seed of David, would be the Lord's anointed, the Lord's Messiah. He would be the ultimate king over Israel. So when Simeon held the Christ child in his arms, the Spirit fills Simeon with revelation. This baby Christ was the one he'd been waiting his entire life to encounter. It's the anointed one that his fathers and his father's fathers and his father's father's fathers reaching back generation before generation had been believing in. The remnant of those who'd finally returned to the land hoping that the Messiah would still come even after all their disobedience. Praying that he would arrive and, and overthrow First the Greeks and then the Romans. Charles Wesley, the brother of John. John's the famous one. Charles, the more poetic one. Charles was the hymn writer. Lots of hymns that we still sing today. That's when you know you've got game as a songwriter. When hundreds of years after your death, they're still singing them. If you can make it through a decade nowadays, you've written a good song. Charles wrote a hymn related to this very passage of Scripture that perfectly captures the gravity and the glory, the glory of this moment. You'll recognize it. He starts out saying, Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation. Those words capture the moment and Simeon's expectations perfectly. You can sense it in Simeon, can't you? Come, thou long expected Jesus, Israel's strength and consolation. The hope of an entire nation is bound up in this, this little baby. And you notice how, how sweet. And poignant that first line is. It captures in Simeon, in this episode in the temple, the convergence of two epochs. The convergence of the Old Testament and the dawning of the New Testament, right? Come thou long expected. It's not just Simeon's cry. It's the cry of all God's people through the ages. Come thou long expected seed of woman. Come thou long expected seed of Abraham. Come thou long expected seed of David. Come thou long expected servant of the Lord. Come thou long expected Messiah. 
people through the ages in faith, hoping that perhaps in their day they would see the Lord's anointed arrive in glory. But in Simeon, we see the convergence of the two. As Charles Wesley wrote, Come thou long expected Jesus! What Simeon sees and what we know is that the Messiah has arrived in the God-man, in this infant, the Word of God enfleshed. We know Simeon has stored up messianic promises in his heart. We know it because as Luke is quoting the blessing, he says there's all these allusions to messianic promises. Here's a man who, who knows the law and he's stored it up and he recites it to himself. Can you imagine when the Lord reveals to him, you won't die before you've seen the Christ? What do you think you do? If you haven't already been studying those passages, you go and pursue the ancient equivalent of a PhD in those passages. You pour over them. You pray over them. You dissect them. You store them up. He alludes to them here in Luke. Psalms in multiple places in Isaiah spill from his lips. The wonder of looking on this little baby and realizing he's looking into the very eyes of Israel's salvation and Israel's glory. And it's breathtaking. Luke very intentionally describes Simeon as a righteous, devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel. It's a reference to Isaiah 40, verse 1. We read it earlier in the service when, when Patty came forward during worship. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Isaiah fifty-seven eighteen. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him. Those themes are poignantly being placed before us as Jesus is introduced to Jerusalem. That's what's happening here. The little baby is getting the first introduction to the holy city. And Luke very strategically says that he will be a consolation and he will be a redeemer. He will be a rescuer and a deliverer. Now, on the one hand, Jesus, this means, is the answer for every longing that we have to be mended and restored. When Patty comes forward this morning and there's this, this sense on her heart that the Lord would encourage people who are suffering, that's something that is only met and only mended in the person and work of Jesus. The ache of brokenness that every person has felt living in a fallen world can only find healing in one place. At the feet of Jesus. His consolation. His divine comfort. Is that he ends all our warfare. As Isaiah 40 says. That he binds up our wounds. As Isaiah 57 says. And not just the superficial wounds. He binds up the wounds. That we try, try to self-medicate. That we attempt to ignore. But he even works on the deep wounds. The hurts that, that haunt us. That brokenness that you are loath to ever admit to somebody else exists in your soul. 
assuming you've even been honest enough with yourself to admit that it exists there. Jesus, Luke, and Simeon, and Isaiah, and the Psalter tell us, is the only balm that can restore us and that can heal those hurts. He is consolation and comfort on the one hand, but on the other hand, He's what Anna was waiting for. He's the redemption of Israel. When Simeon speaks of having seen the Lord's salvation, my eyes have seen His salvation, he's acknowledging that it isn't just our hurts that need a solution, isn't he? It's that we have to be delivered. We have to be set free. We have to be ransomed. We have to be redeemed from enemies and powers that hold us in bondage. Zechariah spoke to it during his song, his song a few weeks ago. That the Lord has raised up a horn of salvation. To do what? To deliver us, to redeem us from our enemies. It's only in Christ, in this Jesus that we can find deliverance from our own sin and from Satan's power. Redemption and healing. Salvation and comfort. It's what Wesley captures so perfectly with his words. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us. Lest we find, let us find our rest in thee, Israel's strength and consolation. We also see significance in the latter part of Simeon's blessing. He blesses the child, consecrates the child in the temple before the Lord. He says that he's going to be the salvation, he's going to be redemption, he's going to be the glory of Israel. But he also says that this child, this Messiah, Jesus, is going to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. These final words of Simeon's song, that he would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel are so fitting for the hope-filled child of God that Calvin, commenting on this text, encouraged that those two phrases be sung at the conclusion of every worship liturgy in every church. He, he found it so compelling. He said, this is how we should finish every worship service. We have finished praying to and praising and preaching about lifting our eyes to behold the risen Christ, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. And all God's people said, Amen. That's what Calvin envisioned. In the advent of Jesus, a light has shone into the world's darkness. We're only two chapters in the Luke's Gospel. We've got a lot to cover yet, don't we? But there's so much going on. Luke is being so intentional. He's tipping us off. Two chapters into the first volume of his two-volume work, Jesus won't just be Israel's Messiah. He's come for all the world. It's so significant. It's, it's really a turning point in the outworking of God's plan of redemption. Up until now, God's primary revelation was to a particular people, wasn't it? God's special revelation had come primarily to a particular people, ethnic Israel, the physical seed of Abraham. A people that he graciously chosen out from all the peoples of the earth. So it was only 
if you had a chance to interact with Israel, only if you had a chance to interact with a faithful Israelite, that you had any chance of encountering the special revelation of God and how He planned to redeem. It was the only way you could interact with who God was and, and come to saving knowledge up until this point. But now, in the arrival of Jesus, what Simeon articulates, what the Spirit placed on his heart, what Luke is drawing our attention to in his Gospel, is that now, in Jesus, a new light of revelation has come. A new light has dawned, if you will. And it's not just for Israel. It's for the whole world. It's for the nations. All, all these allusions to the nations in all the Old Testament are finally going to come true in this Messiah, in this child. God's saving plan is about to spill, to, to pour over the boundaries of ethnic Israel. And good news is now going to be extended to all peoples, even to the ends of the earth. Again, Wesley's words in the hymn paint the picture perfectly. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Joy to those who long to see thee, day spring from on high appear. Come, thou promised rod of Jesse, of thy birth we long to hear. I love the way Wesley writes it. It's, it's like the nations in their longing are crying out, Bring us the news! Tell us where to put our hope. We want joy. Will you bring it to us? Luke makes an intentional connection between the glory of Israel and the nations receiving light. The arrival of Jesus doesn't mean a diminished role for Abraham's descendants. It, it doesn't mean that, that the Jewish people are suddenly in the back seat. No, Israel's unique status is meant to be the initial missional means by which the good news is going to go out. You're going to see it in Jesus' ministry to the Jews first, working with Israel. You're going to see it in Paul's ministry, the Jew first, then the Gentile. It's not meant to take away from the significance of Israel. It's meant to place them even more so in a place of honor. That as the revelation of the Messiah shines out into the darkness of the world, shines out into the darkness of the Mediterranean world and, and the Roman Empire, and continues going out and out and out to, to India, to China, to Africa, to South America, to North America, to the ends of the earth, as that light goes out and it spreads, as nations are delivered from darkness... Israel's role would be seen as great and glorious. That the nations would long for an opportunity by faith to be grafted into Israel. It doesn't diminish who Israel is. Gentiles don't remain Gentiles. They're grafted into the church. The new Israel. They become part of the body that sits under the head. Jesus, the true Israel. And they're made partakers in Israel's glory, Jesus Christ. That's what Simeon says, isn't it? That this child, this Messiah, is the glory of Israel. There, there's all these things that Luke has already done in the first two chapters. Even in our context, right? Right before our passage, what happens? 
they circumcise the baby Jesus on the eighth day. In our passage now, 40 days later, they're going to the temple. Mary needs to be purified. Jesus is the firstborn. They have to go to the temple. They have to make sacrifice. They have to dedicate him to the Lord. There's all these things that have already happened. Luke is pointing, he's tipping us off to something. You know what it is? Look at all the ways perfectly, even before the baby is 40 days old, how he is perfectly completing the law, perfectly fulfilling the law. Everything the law requires, this baby does. And as the book goes on, time and time and time again, Luke will show us every place where the law called for obedience, where the law called for single-minded devotion to the Lord. Everything the law demands of us that we've failed to meet, Jesus will perfectly obey. Because He is the true glory of Israel. He's the obedient Son that Israel was meant to be, but could never live up to. I I love the opportunity we had a few weeks ago with the cross-conference simulcast. We got to have a handful of people come on an evening and watch messages talking about the risk and the need and the beauty and the promise that even as we take this message to the ends of the earth, to the nations, to unreached people groups, we do this commissioned from the Lord with promises from the Lord that He will save people. Even as He calls people here, to go and to sacrifice. Moms and dads to allow their 20-something to not pursue that career they always envisioned, but to go. And, and maybe to die on the mission field. It's a beautiful thing to take part in. Because Jesus is beautiful. Because Jesus is a light to those nations who still sit in darkness. It's why I love a morning like today where we can sit and we can watch that, that, that mission fund video. There is nothing about that where we are trying to, trying to tug on your heartstrings or manipulate you into opening your wallet. If, if that's why you sense you should give, don't give. Don't give because you feel manipulated or you feel guilty. That's a terrible reason to give. Give because Jesus is glorious and Jesus is more beautiful than anything the world has ever or will ever know. And there are people who don't know who He is. There are people who are perishing. And the Lord has commissioned one institution, His bride, the church, to advance the gospel, to play their God-ordained role in the Great Commission, to see disciples made here in Lenexa, in Johnson County, in Kansas City, to see disciples made in Wissanoming, Philadelphia, disciples made in Jamaica, in Gilbert, Arizona, in Louisville, Kentucky, in Pasadena, California, all the way to the ends of the earth. That's the reason you give to something like that. Not because you feel guilty, not because you feel manipulated, but because you have tasted and you have seen, like Simeon, that Jesus is worth everything. He encounters the Christ child, hands the baby back and says, I'm ready to die. That's the claim Jesus makes on our hearts. 
there are all sorts of good things that we budget our time for, that we budget our, our money for, that we, we steward the resources God has given us. Countless good things. But those countless good things must be, Luke chapter 2 tells us, prioritized according to the best thing. That Jesus has come, the Messiah has arrived, and He is the only place of healing for a broken world. He's the only place for broken people to go. Teenagers contemplating suicide. People who are lost in addiction. Addicted to promises of this world that that sex will fulfill them. People addicted to accumulating wealth. There are deep holes they're trying to fill with stuff that can't fill them. And Simeon shows us, and Luke chapter 2 shows us, there is only one consolation. It's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And we, as His people, as those who have been brought into, engrafted into His body, we have the opportunity, like Simeon and like Anna, to proclaim that message. I want to conclude by considering Simeon and Anna. Look at them one more time. Sometimes we encounter people in Scripture and it's like, why did God pick them? Why Gideon? So he had that extra blanket, cloak laying around. Why'd you use that guy? What was special about them? Why? Zechariah and Elizabeth. I think Luke tips us off. We don't have to wonder quite so deeply why with with Anna and Simeon. Why does God use those people in his great plan of redemption? Because they're just so absolutely God-centered, aren't they? Every description of these two people is compelling. It makes you think of them. These are no two ordinary Jews. These are no two ordinary members of Jerusalem city. They are known throughout the city. Anna, this 84-year-old widow who doesn't leave the temple because she's constantly praying and fasting and seeking communion with the Lord and longing for the redemption of Israel. Simeon. Why, why does the Lord tell him, you, my friend, you, my son, you won't depart until you've seen my anointed? Because he longs to see the Lord's anointed. I think it's because it's the answer to the prayer of his life. Lord, let me see your anointed before I depart. Yes, in God's sovereignty, Simeon gets to be born in that time. But yes, also in God's kindness. Even as Simeon is born in those days, he tells Simeon to go to the temple on that day. I want to give you the desire of your heart, Simeon. I want you to see the Christ child. They've set their hearts and their hopes exclusively on the Messiah. And when Simeon gets to hold Jesus in his arms, Okay, I can die. I have nothing else to live for or accomplish. 
and then you think of this, he's encountered the infant Christ at the beginning, the very beginning, 40 days into his first coming. Even before the sighting of Christ, Simeon has lived exclusively for this moment. And now that it's come, now having seen Jesus, his contentment is complete. We always like to think of like, who's the really contented person in the New Testament? Oh, it's Paul, right? Paul, I learned contentment. I think Simeon is the most content person in the New Testament. Oh, take me home. I've seen the baby. I've seen the child. So if that is that significant of a blessing for Simeon, to to see the baby Jesus and to die filled with faith, And in Simeon's shoes, having no knowledge that that baby would live and be put to death and then conquer the grave. So he doesn't know Christ is going to be resurrected from the grave. And yet in seeing the baby, he's ready to die. That's astounding faith, isn't it? If if that's how Simeon reacts, having no knowledge of Christ's resurrection, what does that say for how we should react and how we should live? Simeon and Anna live by faith in the hope of Jesus' first coming. They are sold out for it. They are ready to die once they see it. Everything else is subsumed by that great devotion. And every single one of us lives and breathes with greater, fuller revelation than they ever had. You shouldn't read the story of Simeon and say, man... I'd love to be filled with the Spirit like that. If you are a believer, you are, and then some. You are indwelt by the Spirit of the risen and living Christ. You know that He triumphed over the grave, that He's ascended to the right hand of God the Father, that He now mediates and intercedes for us, perfectly knowing our weaknesses because He walked this earth as a man. And you know that one day Christ is going to return in resplendent glory And he's going to create a new home, a new heavens, a new earth for all his people. If Simeon and Anna can live so radically with just a foreshadowing of that revelation, how does that call us to live in light of the fuller, bigger picture? Is there any sacrifice too great? Because there wasn't for Simeon with just the foreshadowing. That, the knowledge of Christ and Him crucified, raised and reigning and one day returning, that is what should define our life and our ambitions and our priorities as the saints of the Lord. It's that knowledge that empowers our longing to commune with the Lord. Where Anna wouldn't leave the temple, a temple that's a shell of the glory of Solomon's temple. How much more should we be consumed with coming together to the house and being a part of the body of the living Christ? to gather near the redeemed of the Lord. All these people who are indwelt by the Spirit of Christ coming together to have that synergy of Christ-filled spirits together in a room singing and praising and proclaiming the gospel to each other. How committed should that make us to being devoted to one another as we leave and scatter? That Acts 2 vision of living. To be devoted to gathering and fellowshipping and praying. To being knit more deeply together into the body. It's not enough to have an hour and a half on Sunday with the rest of the body. I want to be devoted to these people. 
I'm going to spend eternity with these people celebrating the resurrected Christ. Oh, I want to get together with them and enjoy four tastes of eternity this week. How much generosity and sacrifice for the sake of kingdom work and and mission and evangelism and, and seeing the message go to the corners of our block and the corners of the world and the nations. How many lattes does a person give up over the course of a year? Because they want to see that $5 and $5 and $5 and $5 sewn into the kingdom. How much of an inheritance gets transferred not to a new retirement account, but gets set aside to anonymously bless someone in the work of ministry in the name of Jesus Christ? Knowing that our inheritance Our city is not an earthly city. It is an eternal inheritance. It is the new Jerusalem. How many evenings of TV and and Netflix and leisure are joyfully sacrificed in pursuit of community and hospitality and inviting neighbors over and missionally participating in evangelism? Jesus doesn't just change the way we die. Changes the way we live. And Simeon and Anna show us there is no shortage of joy in living to behold Christ. We don't usually sing these verses of it as well, but they are so good and so fitting. For me, be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live. If Jordan over me shall roll, no pang shall be mine, for in death as in life, thou wilt whisper thy peace, thy consolation to my soul. But Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, even while we wait, like Simeon, it is well with my soul. Lord God, we want to burn with passion for your glory. You do not give your glory to another. And we do not want you to give it to another. And we do not want to live for another glory. We want to be filled with your spirit like Simeon and Anna. And we want to be devoted, sacrificially giving of ourselves and our gifts and our time, even our lives if you call us to, for the sake of the glory of the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray for this community. Lord, that you would send us out as workers into the harvest. You have promised the harvest is plentiful. Stir up obedience in our hearts. And God, I pray that you would work as you promised to do, sending out workers to the ends of the earth. 
Lord, bring fruit to our partnership with Sovereign Grace, even as you bring fruit to the broader work of your universal bride, the church. Lord God, let the light of Jesus shine to the nations. Do it for the glory and the fame of your name, Father. Raise up worshipers from every tribe and people and nation and tongue. And Lord, let us be obedient so that we can find joy in celebrating in the last day that we did our part.